Welcome to the practical podcast for technical people who want to start their own company. From founding to building your business, we're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel. And I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink Show. Welcome back to another episode of the Hello Blink Show. Joining us today is Daniel Bogdanoff, who runs the Keysight Labs YouTube channel, creating inbound marketing content and a bunch of videos for Keysight to help people learn to use oscilloscopes, learn how to do better with test equipment, and just general electronics all around. Today, we're going to talk about inbound marketing, content creation, influencer marketing, and how to create videos that people actually want to watch. Let's jump in. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Sean and Harris. I, I'm a listener of the podcast myself, so I, I'm, I was honored to, to be asked on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us. And I know that we've chatted before a number of times, Daniel, and now that you and I have both done YouTube stuff for a few years for companies trying to get, you know, what does that inbound marketing look like when it comes to video stuff? Um, I'm exact, I'm excited to talk to you and see what your experiences are, if they match with mine, or if there's anything we can share back and forth. This will be interesting. So to kick us off, give us a little bit of information for any listener out there who might not know what Keysight is. Um, I feel like most electrical engineers will have heard it, of it at this point. Um, tell us what Keysight is, what you do for them, um, and how did you get into that role? Sure. So so Keysight, we make uh, test and measurement equipment and solutions. So a lot of software, a lot of hardware. We started back in like the 1930s or so as a, a company you've probably heard of, Hewlett Packard. Um, and there was a, they built a site out in Colorado Springs that does a lot of test gear. And they started making test gear before they got into displays and home computing and all that stuff like in the 80s and 90s. So what happened was from like a, you know, executive level standpoint, they're like, this stock doesn't make sense to have test equipment. And computers in the same company. So we're going to spin them off into Agilent. And that happened in 2000. Um, at the time, it was the biggest IPO in, in history for Agilent. And then the same thing happened again, like in 2012, where we did life sciences. So we did like gas chromatographs and water quality testing, stuff like that. And the more, you know, electronics, hardware, RF measurement stuff. So again, they looked at the stock and said, we're either healthcare or we're hardware. We're not, we, we don't want to be both. So they spun off Keysight in 2012. Um, maybe it's 2014. I should probably know that. But um, I started with Agilent. We got spun off into Keysight. And uh, I've been doing all kinds of things ever since. Um, I, I have an electrical engineering degree and came out of college into Agilent doing technical support for oscilloscopes. So it's kind of in a support organization, you have regional call centers, you can kind of call whoever and get help. And if those folks can't answer, then they go back to the division. Usually it's someone like in the R&D group that can help kind of work through the problems that customers are having, like with the actual engineers that built the product. So that's how I got my start. Um, and I, I looked at some of the video that we were doing as a marketing organization. And of course, you know, you can always spend big budget and get these really nice polished um, videos you're spending 10, 20, 40, 50K for a video, which is not uncommon for, for big companies. So it's either one of those or it was a 
iPad and a cubicle unscripted. So those were the videos we were doing. It's either crazy expensive or crazy budget. And I was like, well, I, I think I could do better than that. I don't know if I can do well, but I can at least do better. Um, started making video and that's kind of pivoted me into a inbound marketing role where I, I do a ton of content creation and some program management and influencer work. So it's a ton of fun. I, I love my job. So when did you when did you make that transition? At what point were you like, you know what? I think I can do better video. Like, can you give us a year? Uh, maybe like 2014 ish. 2014. I started. Um, we we do a big event every year, a big giveaway, like in the March time frame. Um, and I I wanted to get some hype for that. So that's kind of what started it. Um, just oh, tutorial how to stuff. Okay, so that was the impetus for creating more of this video content um, for Keysight. Okay, so what value, and we're going to jump into the whole inbound marketing thing here, not to prime you too much, what value do you think that these these videos you make bring to a large organization? And not just you, but like when a company, you know, like you said, there, there used to be this idea that it was either you spend millions of dollars to make this like crazy marketing ad, you know, the old like, you know, I think Mad Men style ads were like, it's all about the feels and like, look at this Apple oscilloscopes. And you're like, what? I don't, I don't get it. Or you're doing, like you said, like just like some, someone with a webcam and like an iPad and you're like, eh, okay. And like, sometimes it helps, sometimes it's not. But like, where's that, where do you feel that middle ground fits into these large organizations? And what value do you think it brings them? Yeah. So I, I have, a number of thoughts, and I'll try to keep it short. Um, I could talk about video strategy for days, I think. Um, it's something I just I love doing, and I love working on strategy with other teams, too. Um, part of it is there's a need for more video. There's often a need for more video than that to be consumed than we can actually produce. So there's always, as soon as you start doing any sort of video in, in an organization, people are going to start coming to you and say, hey, you should do this. Or, hey, you should come after this topic. Or you should look at my product and do a demo of my product. So people, there's a, there's a, a almost insatiable hunger for video. So having a good in-house production crew, um, and you know maybe it's a hybrid, maybe you hire out editors or hire out filmers, whatever it ends up being. Um, having that ability to be flexible and fast and not, super budget constrained is a really good way to go after key strategic initiatives for a company that you wouldn't necessarily be able to go after otherwise because you either don't have the budget or you don't have the quality. I've noticed that there seems to be in many organizations and many people who um, that, you know, that have reached out to me, there seems to be this notion that if you make a video and if you make a video of a product, people will watch it. <laughs> is that something you, you've run into as well? Um, that notion, yes. Um, a lot of people think, and this gets into the strategy is a lot of people think like there's a, if you build it, they will come sort of mm -hmm. philosophy, which I do not subscribe to. Um, also a lot of people think that the topics they want to cover are interesting or, or valued. And that's not always the case. Sometimes it is. Um, and often it is, but it's definitely not always the case. Um, and then views are also a very fickle, fickle mistress. Um, they, oh my, yes. You know, like, is it YouTube views? And how does YouTube count a view? Nobody knows. They don't tell us. 
is it Facebook views? Because Facebook counts a view after like three seconds and someone's scrolling through the feed if they see the post. And then you just put $1,000 behind it and you're like, oh, look, we got you know 5,000 views on this video. Or maybe you put it on your website and it's on a product homepage. And in that case, you're only getting views of people who are actually going to your product page. So there, there's a lot of factors that weigh into whether someone actually watches a video. So that begs the question, what do you find in your experience? What do you find resonates with people? It's a, it's a good question. Um, and it kind of harks me back to you did an SEO episode a, a while back and I had a lot of thoughts. I was, I was, I was mountain biking, so I couldn't take notes and send them to you, which is <laughs> probably good for both of you. Uh, <laughs> but, um, so there's, there's a few plays. I, I've kind of come up with this framework in my mind that every in the in the context of like enterprise organizations, this is probably not true for small small scale startups, but the strategy still applies. Is every every company should really have three YouTube channels? You have one that is for corporate sponsored big initiative videos. That's where you're doing like executive overviews and product fancy shots and you know these keynotes and things like that where it's more about um i'm gonna use my language here in case executives listen but it's it's more about um having a, a place for video that isn't necessarily driving a community or a strong call to action so there should be a, a channel or at least a video stream mechanism dedicated to that there's another fork of video strategy that's community community building and I, I love the community building side of, of YouTube. And Sean, you've seen this where you you go into other people's channels and, and work on community and topics there. Um, and that's what we do on Keysight Labs. It's very much about uh, how-to content, but also building that community and building kind of this persona around the brand that's for the people that like this type of content. Uh, and that's the more social media side of video. And then there should be a tutorial branch of of content which is not necessarily trying to like drive audience retention or clicks but it's very much around uh long tail seo or how-to content that how-to topics that people are searching for and looking for and need and that's something that almost anyone in your could pull up their webcam pull up a screen share and say here's how to go after this weird obscure corner case and how to solve this problem so Daniel, let's say I'm a solo founder. I have like anywhere from one to three contractors that I work with as a YouTube expert. Would you say that like, would playlists be a way for uh, an early stage person to do this where they say, Hey, I've got these playlists for my different types of content. Or do you think that there's a one of those three that they should just focus on in the beginning and get really good at like tutorials or something like that? I think it really depends. That's a great question. I think it really depends on what your strategy is for your marketing and for your support and for your product. Um, I think having some sort of product overview, if it's a physical or even software, I know you're working on like a CRM, um, some sort of overview of the features and the benefits and kind of that standard marketing, like here's what the product is, here's why you care, here's how it's helpful. I think those videos have to exist somewhere. So if you're a solo founder and, and want to run one channel, I think playlists are a great way to do that. Um, you can also like tweak your homepage. Um, but it's much better. YouTube. Is, so YouTube is the world's second largest search engine after Google. 
So, you know, antitrust people eat your heart out. Um, there's, there, there's something to be said for YouTube in as just an SEO play. So you can treat it as SEO and that's where you have that support and playlists are a big part of that because you can actually use other people's videos on a playlist and rank your playlist with your videos in it. Um, but really getting, especially for branded search terms, you want I, I think you want to host those on your website. So um, it kind of gets into that written versus video debate. I think the answer is you want to have both written content and video content and you want to host it somewhere on a platform that you own because you don't own YouTube, YouTube could flip a switch tomorrow and everything is nuked. And that's just the nature of Google. Same with SEO rankings, like they could roll out an algorithm that hurts you and that's it. So having that on an owned platform where you're always going to win a ranked search. So if people search Harris Kenny CRM tool, you want them to land on a website that potentially has that overview video and some, some copy and some words on it that describe your product and what it does. So playlists are there, but I, I think going to that owned owned platform model is, is probably the way to go as a as a startup. So I do have a thought on that, and I and I do wonder if it's with other companies I've worked with, they only had one channel. And I see the I see what you're saying, the benefits of having several different channels so you can curate different audiences. Um, but that I don't think that plays well with sometimes when you have the strategy of we're going to develop a subscriber list, right? This is this is the the jab 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 right hook idea here. Um, the Gary the Gary V style. Whether you like him or not, this is this is the <laughs> style where you say, okay, I'm going to give you content that you're going to engage with, whether that's how tos, the the flaming pumpkins, like whatever. And then every tenth video is going to be like, hey, here's our product releases. And if you if you manage the product releases in such a way that the people are still engaged with it, you're getting eyes on those product releases because that way you're monetizing off of that um, that subscriber list. So how do you how do you handle that where you like how do you manage that funnel? So like now you have three funnels. And so you've got some people who like engage with, you know, you've got the how to's and edge cases if it's just like working with a key site scope. Um, but it could be, you know, if, how, where would you one, where would you put your like, what is an oscilloscope, right? Like who would do a video like that? Um, where would you put that one? And then how would you funnel that person? Like, right, you have a persona coming to watch that video. You want them to ultimately buy a key site scope. Um, and then so they they funnel down into like, okay, I'm in the purchase for a new scope and I've been watching this key site channel and I'm interested in a, in a key site scope. So I'm going to start comparing. How do you narrow them down if if they're never seeing product or whatnot? Or do you assume that like, because we're showing you key site scopes in the how to's, you're going to want it? Yeah, there's some of both. And I, 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 that is the first protest when I talk to people about this is wait, but um, my so my philosophy on this is, if you're treating your YouTube channel like a social media channel, like a video social media channel, then you want to be creating videos for that channel that engage your audience that they want to watch, period, you don't want to distract them I'm going to say, not distract them, that's the wrong word, but you don't want to do anything for that channel that's going to take away from that viewership or from the authority and, uh, um, I can't think of the word, like the uh, uh, authenticness, is that a word? Sure, the authenticity. It, it's, authenticity. it comes across as disingenuous if you're like, oh, we're here to help, but we sell products. Right, and um, I I actually, uh, I don't have the box here. I, I I bought a hat online that says sales hat on top so I could transition into that periodically. 
Um, part of the way the algorithms work on social YouTube and other platforms is the way your next video does is how well your next video does is impacted by how well your previous video did and how well really? your channel does. And YouTube even identifies your channel and says, this channel is good for this type of thing. And they're good for these keywords or these topics. And if you try to branch away from that, then it's it's going to flag it a little bit. And it might do well, but overall, on average, it's not going to do as well. So what I would do is... Um, like how to use an oscilloscope is actually, I think we talked about this. This video is coming to the Keysight Labs YouTube channel. I'm really excited about it. Um, Sean promised to, to the audience here, Sean promised he would give me a trophy if I could beat his view count on how to use an oscilloscope. Um, so <laughs> that uh, I think I'm gonna 3D print. I think I'm going to 3D print a golden scope and I will send it I love to it. you. I love it. I should probably print one and send it to you so you can have it and then you can... <laughs> then we can trade it back, it back <laughs> Uh, so a, a video like how to use an oscilloscope is a great way to sell an oscilloscope B and you don't have to go through like competitive comparisons between this Keysight scope and this like Tektronics or Regal scope. Um, for someone who, who's watching that video, especially either from SEO or from the community is they're watching it to pick up tips on how to use things and how to solve their measurement challenges. So if we have a new set of products coming out, and I'm going to look at our YouTube channel and say, what about these products helps people solve problems? And then I'm going to do a video about those problems. And I'm going to solve those problems with the equipment. And it's like, and then by the way, if you want to see more about this, go check out, you know, this video on our other channel or check out this website to buy or, or learn more about this specific product. And there's links in the description. There's an app note, there's an ebook, whatever it ends up being. Um, treating that that community social media YouTube channel as a very top of funnel activity to drive them into something that's more sales oriented is how I would go about it. And then you can have that corporate channel with demos and that sort of thing. Right. That makes sense. And that's, that's generally how I approach it too. Um, whenever I have new people reach out to me, they're like, Oh, we want you to make a video cause it's going to sell a bunch of these. And like, you're like, no, you know, this is top of funnel. Unless you have the sales pipeline in place to like make that happen. I'm just going to provide a top of funnel layer. And you mentioned something earlier that I want to touch on. And, and is that that's the idea of you should both have both written content and video content. Would you consider one more important than the other? Um, I, I've been thinking that you, you put this in an email and I've been thinking about it for the last 24 hours or so how to answer this question because it's it's a very complex question because I can sit down and in an evening write up a pretty decent blog post take a couple pictures with my cell phone put it in there and it's fine like I, I can do that pretty quick uh, to do a video is a lot more work so it's not like there's a clean answer of do video, do written, um, because the effort involved and the the production involved is different. And maybe you have a thriving video channel, you should keep doing video, or maybe you have a thriving website with lots of traffic and your blog is doing well, or a forum, then you know, kind of stick to the forum and use the tools of written content and the tools of video to build kind of this, I don't know, HubSpot would call it like a pillar page, but build Build something that combines both if you can afford it, especially for afford it time-wise or budget-wise, especially for a key initiative. So if, Harris, you're going after a CRM for small businesses, you should write, I'm not going to say you should write this, but in theory, you could write a, you know, a, a, 
medium length blog posts about why CRM, you know, what sort of CRM tools are needed for small business. And then include a video that's like, hey, I'm Harris, and here's what I love about CRMs. Here's what I hate about CRMs. Here's what we do. That sort of thing, I think, would work potentially pretty well. If you can get the both in the combo, it does well. Yeah, that makes sense. I've been thinking about that for sure in terms of like, you know, showing how to do things that like like solving the problem, right? So like if you are just using this example, you know, you want to like build up a pipeline and you want to have like a steady number of customers that you're like working with. There is this question of like, well, where do I get customers from? You know, and like for my, my product, because it's really for like freelancers, they're probably not going to have a Daniel Bogdanoff just making it rain on the sales team with these just massive numbers of people coming in from the internet. So they're going to have to probably experiment with like lots of different things. And so I've thought about content that would be like, okay, like how to do your first, like how to send your first cold outbound message on LinkedIn or whatever. Cause like you've never done it before and you don't have like a sales team to do that. So I've definitely thought about that, but I have thought about video too. And if I may, cause I'm YouTube is sort of on my radar, but I'm not necessarily a content person like either of you are. Um, where do you find, where have you learned about like SEO within YouTube, like naming of your videos and sort of like how to use the video description and where have you kind of learned about how YouTube SEO works and are there tools for that? I know there's tons of tools like Ahrefs and things like that for, you know, websites, but what about on the YouTube side and I'm curious like how you've, because it seems like you've really been doing this for a long time. So I'm curious like what you've picked up, where you go for tips, how you think about that. Yeah. And I'll preface it by saying that YouTube is always changing how they do things. Um, So there's a couple like best practices, but first I'll start with where I learn. Um, One of them is I almost every week, I just go scroll the trending page on YouTube to see what people are doing. I rarely see a video I want to watch, but I look at thumbnails and I look at descriptions and I look at those first couple lines of descriptions, description that shows up and the title. And I figure out, just kind of take a look and see some themes that are occurring um, in that. And you can like pull out your phone now and do it and you'll look and almost guarantee you, you'll see faces, clean titles, a very distinguishable person, and maybe a word or three um, on the thumbnail. The title will be something related, but usually, you know, title and thumbnail should complement each other and provide additional information each on their own um there's there's so many different options and ways to learn out there um i've recently been listening to uh, a podcast called video creators i think uh it's like tim schmoyer uh does some video stuff um i can send over a link to that has has had some good tidbits there's a, a couple other marketing podcasts that I kind of poke into every once in a while and see if there's a topic I want to listen in on. Um, one thing I would say is it feels overwhelming to get started because there's all these factors you have to worry about. The most important thing is to get, I'm going to say storytelling, it's kind of cliche, but you know, have a good video and a good point that you're trying to make and you want to tell it cleanly and in a way that's interesting for people. Um, so some of the same skills that come from writing also apply to, to script writing and to video is knowing where you're trying to go, kind of teasing what you're doing and, and keeping people intrigued from start to finish. Um, I, I would, my, my advice for people is just to start 
doing it. Even if it's a webcam and a screen share, just start doing it and figure out what's working, what's not. Play with your titles, play with your thumbnails, play with your intros. We always do a cold open for a couple seconds where it's like either something funny or interesting that happened in the video that we apply kind of out of context at the beginning or or a like, today we're going to talk about how to use an oscilloscope. And then we cut to a title sequence. And then we get into the, hi, I'm Daniel Bogdanoff from Keysight Labs and yada, yada, yada. So uh, reassuring people that they're in the right place when they click into a video. So they see the title, they see the thumbnail, they think they know what they're going to get. You want to tell them right away, yes, you're in the right spot. This is what we're covering today. Um, and like I look at retention graphs and they'll, they'll show you how many people stick around throughout the video. And you can actually see the impact of that type of intro on the retention graph for the whole video. Mm. Um, but yeah. Quick follow-up. So a, a theme that seems like it's going to come up in a few different things you mentioned here is like you mentioned in the thumbnail, like a clear face of like a person who you can see. And, you know, you just said there's like that segue of like, hi, I'm Daniel Bogdanoff and this is Keith like, He's at Labs. So like there's this like personality side of it. And like, you know, looking at your Twitter avatar and you can follow Daniel at Daniel Bogdanoff on uh, twitter.com. Uh, you know, you've got like the glasses, right? You have this like persona and Sean has this like persona of like the bow tie, you know? And so, you know, I've, my, my experience working with founders who are earlier stages, like if they have a YouTube video, chances are the videos have their hands or, or nothing at all. And it's like these sort of still frame where they'll like clearly move something and then take their hands out of it and then continue recording. Maybe they've got one where the camera's like sort of facing them and they're talking a little bit, but there's some hesitancy to sort of put themselves out there. I think probably because it's just like not comfortable. Um, but it sounds like you're saying that personality is potentially part of what can ig- indicate to people that they're in the right place and that there's someone on the other side who has like created this content for them. How important do you think that is specifically? Yeah, I, I, I another good question. I, I think that people want to know that there's another human talking to them. So you don't have to be like, you know, a, a beautiful woman in her young 20s to be successful on like corporate YouTube videos or whatever that ends up being. Um, and feel free to cut booth that babes. out. <laughs> yeah, booth babes are totally decline. So cringy. Oh, my gosh. Oh, um, I hate it. it. Yeah, I couldn't believe that was a thing when I started going to trade shows. Same, um, same. Oof. <laughs> it's like, oh, um, I don't think you have to be particularly like interesting or easy on the eyes. Like you could be wearing a goblin mask. I don't care, but people want to know they're being spoken to by a real human. So what I tell people to do um, when I talk with other teams, especially or for like webcasts is that's why you see a picture, like a headshot of people at the beginning of a webcast or a PowerPoint is people want to have that connection. So what I would say is even if you're screen sharing at the beginning somewhere, say, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so, and and here's what we're going to talk about. And then you don't have to show your face again for the rest of the video because people already have that in their mind that this is this person talking to me. Um, And our brains just receive that better. I don't know if it's like, you know, lizard brain stuff, but it it works. Well, quick thought on that. Like, I think it's, I don't think you have to do it, but I think it will make your content more likely to succeed. You know, I think it's one of these like cheat codes where like, if you feel comfortable being vulnerable in that way, it is more likely that your marketing will get more traction faster. Like I just think of thinking of some hardware companies like MakerBot did this really effectively back in the day with Bree Pettis. And like 
say what you will about different decisions they made as a company or whatever, but like he was very recognizable as one of the faces behind that company. And, you know, you think of like spark fun with Nathan or, you know, Adafruit with Lamore. It is, it's not a requirement to be a successful company. Like, I don't know what the CEO of Keysight looks like, but I do know what you look like. And I do know that there are many companies where I think that that can help the founder get more traction faster. You don't have to, but I think you're just like, you're almost like imposing like friction or like a tax on yourself by not doing that, Um, which is fine. That's like a choice, but it does seem like it helps people get traction faster. Yeah, I I think it, it goes into that storytelling communications aspect where people want to be talked to by humans and not a faceless company, especially if it's for a specific topic. Um, like I'm, I'm thrilled that some of our best performing YouTube videos of all time, most of them don't have me in them. And I'm so happy about that because, you know, it's someone else and they show their face, but it's like, we worked out this script and the story and they took ownership of the topic and we kind of worked out something that was clearly a banger of a topic and is still getting hits. Um, but like, it doesn't have to be one person. It doesn't have to be you. But for everybody, being on camera is super awkward at first. It gets less awkward, but it's still kind of awkward. Um, Sean, you agree? Oh, man. You should go back and watch my first YouTube videos on from SparkFun. I was so nervous. I was sweating. I was like talking really fast. Like, today we're going to explode some capacitors because I don't know what I'm <laughs> talking about on camera right now. It's so bad. So it took years to get more comfortable on camera for me. I mean, everyone's different. Like, some people take to it like a fish in water. Um, but yeah, like, if, if you're nervous about doing doing it, recognize that, like, yeah, most people probably go through that. It's awkward on camera. And it just takes time. It takes time 100%. in practice. And you, yeah, you learn and you get better at it. And it may just always be awkward for you. But if you can picture who you're talking to, instead of like talking to this glass circle in front of your face, you're talking to the people who are watching the video, just like you would talk to anybody else. Yeah. And that's something I still struggle with. I, I go into this like lecture mode, like I'm lecturing a class and it's a very particular voice. And it's something I hope to correct. But it's one of those like minor things I want to work on in the future, time permitting. Um, but I don't think it's necessary for making technical content. It's, it would just be more humanizing and nice. That's all. But first, a word about our sponsors, CyberCity Circuits. Sean, tell us about them. CyberCity Circuits is an electronics distribution and manufacturing shop. So they do contract manufacturing. We actually had David and Chris from CyberCity Circuits on the show. So check out episode 20 if you want to hear from them. We talked to them about running their own electronics distribution, what that process looks like, and how they've been ramping up to do contract manufacturing, which is a fascinating process. So if you need boards made, definitely check them out. They do really cool work and go listen to that episode where we chat with them. To learn more, go to cybercitycircuits.com. You can use discount code HelloBlinkShow to save 10% on your order. Or if you're looking to take advantage of this new capacity they're building out around contract manufacturing, you're actually trying to sell your own product, maybe on Tindy, or you're trying to get into a distributor like Adafruit or SparkFun. Tell them that you listen to Hello Blink Show and you can save up to 25% off the assembly costs of your order. Um, so, okay, you mentioned that other people have, you know, some of the better performing videos on Keysight Labs. That begs the question, what kinds of videos perform the best for you? Or for Keysight Labs uh, yeah. in general? What have you noticed? 
So this is where that like do product videos get views is the ones that do the best have are, are they're usually around some sort of often searched topic. So one a couple that do well, we have like an RF engineering podcast episode. Um, I'm going to plug my podcast real quick. We have a uh, EES talk tech. Uh, we do like tech interviews with folks around the office. Mostly um, it's not as, as, religiously published as i'd like but there's a, a good backlog if you want to just geek out on tech topics um we did an rf engineering interview and that's one of the best viewed videos um and it's just a podcast like it's just an interview uh <laughs> there's there's like a time domain versus frequency domain video that does pretty well uh and there's also a how to measure current with an oscilloscope video that does pretty well and that was actually came out of a a new current probe that we were releasing that uses like a Rogowski coil. So it's kind of this cool, cool technology. So instead of saying, here's a Rogowski coil current probe, the N2730, whatever it ends up being, like no one wants to watch that video, but how to measure current with an oscilloscope. And we talked through, do you use a shunt resistor? Do you use a clamp on current probe? And oh, by the way, you can also use a Rogowski thing. And here's you know the, the perks of it. Um, and that video is done, I, I think, still our best video. So and that's because people are searching for it, right? Yeah, people are searching for it. Um, it got picked up by Hackaday. So uh, we it ended up getting a lot of traffic driven to it early on in its life cycle, which triggered the algorithm on YouTube to keep recommending it to people as well. Um, nice. YouTube promotes this sort of binge-watching binge behavior where if you notice if you watch a video from a new channel, they're going to recommend you like eight other videos from a new channel as you scroll through your recommended videos um, yeah like from that channel and the more you watch the more they recommend it so it kind of is high up in that recommendation algorithm where if someone finds an obscure like how to use it you know like a weird dmm video or something then the algorithm is like oh people who watch videos on this channel like this how to how to measure current with an oscilloscope video and it gets recommended um that's kind of how i see it continuing to get traction Okay, so like making similar style videos of what's out there and popular, nailing that SEO, you can get picked up and recommended. But you also want to be popular. Like being popular makes it more popular is what it seems like. Yeah, I mean, the rich get richer is definitely a thing. Um, mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily go after some video that... So like if you searched best CRM um, in YouTube, Harris, you're just not going to rank for that video. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. Right. And Harris sort of shaking his head. Um, so instead, what you want to do is find the niche that works best for your company and your products and your your goals, what you're going after and the audience you're trying to find and building kind of these medium long tail terms around these topics that befit you and you have a shot at. I also like to look for like I, I search for like, oh, what you know, what are we covering covering today? Right. Like how to use an oscilloscope or, you know, whatever it might be. Search for it. See what's already out there. And then yeah. I like to see like, can I beat this? Can I do better than the content that's there? And if if the answer is even a, I think I can, go for it. And yeah. there's two things I want to touch on with this. I think that purchase intent matters, right? So like I could crush a term, but if people who are looking for that aren't going to buy my thing, then maybe it doesn't necessarily matter to if I win that or not, right? Because it doesn't, there's no... There's no, there's no prize or reward for like winning that race. Um, right. And so I think pairing that is really important when, you know, if you're 
if you only have so much time, right? And I guess everybody deals with scarcity, but solo founders or smaller teams deal with it like a lot more or they're like, look, we, we only have the bandwidth to like make a video this month. So like, what's our video going to be? You want to make sure that you're exploring a topic that will be likely to, that, that your customers are going to be um, asking while they're like in this like purchasing or research evaluation process, right? Absolutely. Yeah, finding, you, you don't want to start with an idea for a video and see it if it applies to your business. You want to look at your business and what you're trying to achieve, what sort of attention you're trying to get, and then come up with topics around around that, you know, that theme you're going after. And that's kind of like, you know, build a marketing plan, <laughs> right? With yeah. themes, topics, goals, and, and really go after those goals. Maybe video is the right tactic, maybe it's not. And then the next thing that I think ties into that when, you know, you were talking about, uh, Sean, you also were talking about, can I make better content than what's out there? Can I answer this question better? Maybe the content that's out there right now is very broad for big audiences and I can niche down and answer a specific one. But maybe I can't as a founder, but maybe an influencer can. I'd love to just kind of roll into the topic of influencer marketing and partnering with someone who is good at making content. And, you know, we've talked on the show about Bino Electronics, who they make a host adapter, and they worked with Shannon Morse, who, you know, formerly with Hack5, and she does lots of different electronics and hardware and infosec content. You know, like she made really high quality content that, you know, they just wouldn't have been able to make in-house because they are not dedicated content creators. When does it make sense to say, okay, I need help with this. I want a content creator to help me make content so that when it shows up in those search results, people will click it because it has the right thumbnail and the title and it looks the part and the person who's speaking on camera is like super comfortable. When do I know as a founder when to ask for help with that stuff? Good question. And I, like I said in the intro, I've done quite a bit of influencer stuff as well. Um, there's a, a couple strategies around influencer marketing. Um, I got into it because I was trying to get that YouTube channel going. And most of our subscribers, like especially the big spikes, we're like 85,000 subscribers. I'm really hoping to get to 100 in the next couple months. Um, you got this. Through influencers, through influencers. Um, is there's influencer marketing is about borrowing an audience. So whether you're borrowing them to pop over to your channel and try and make them convert them into your audience, or if you're just borrowing them for like a one-time promo, it's really about looking at the influencers that are out there, um, you know, search, kind of figured out, ask your engineers what they watch around the space, that sort of thing. Um, I won't dig into finding influencers as much. But look at the influencers that are out there and see who has an audience that is relevant for your product and your business goals. And if you can find a good set of, like, a good influencer that like one-to-one matches with what you're doing is, can be gold for your business, either, you know, point of sale sales or, you know, enterprise type conversations. Um, finding the right people is, is very, very important. Um, and then just reaching out. Um, my, my strategy for it is typically, um, you know, hey, you know, I've been watching your channel. I love these things about these videos. Like, be specific. Like, I actually, you know, watched your videos and I'm interested in what you're doing. And then I, I typically open by just offering free equipment, uh, which not everybody can do. Um, but 
I, I a really like supporting the science and tech YouTube community overall. So I, I'm more than happy to spend company some of my like company marketing budget and send it out, equipment off to influencers just because it it pays off in the long run from a business standpoint. But I really want that community to thrive because that's how I learn. I think it's the future of of you know how people learn and, and do things. But uh, that's kind of that's a nice philosophy I can have when I have a little surplus budget. Um, if if there's a specific initiative, so maybe you're running a promo or you're launching a new product, um, find those influencers that work, reach out to them, and see if you can see what makes sense for their channel. Um, some will do promos a certain way. Some will do promos another way. Maybe they do a, a pre-roll ad. Maybe they do a dedicated video on it. Um, you want to first understand how that channel does promos and then reach out to them and see if there's some way to get on board, whether it be you know, giving, you know, writing them a check or, or figuring something else out. Um, a lot of the ones I work with are kind of one-stop shop people. They write, film, record, edit all their own stuff. So it's very much, they can do whatever they decide to do. So being open and talking with them about what makes sense is absolutely the way to go about it. Does that answer? And then, so they're putting it on their channel, right? That's the idea of the influencer marketing. Yeah, the whole point is to borrow their audience. So you could get them to make a... <laughs> Sean, I'm not, I don't want to hurt your business here. Uh, the, <laughs> the whole point of, of going with a lot of these influencers is they have an audience already and you want to mm-hmm. inject your themes into that audience's brains. Um, sure. So I'd say like you as a inbound content creator have done a lot of work with other companies to help build their brand and their channels. And you're kind of this like, you know, ace in the hole. Here comes Sean to, to lay down another awesome technical video. <laughs> right. But I don't do much on my own channels. Like I've had people reach out and they're like, oh, we want to, you know, they try to use me as an influencer. I'm like, guys, I have 5,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is like nothing on YouTube because I have like four videos on my channel. And they're like, well, that's weird. How do we know you? I'm like, because I do like people pay me to make videos for their channels. Like that's my business, but that's not how other, these other influencers work, right? They'll have hundreds right. of thousands of subscribers. So you're, you're paying to use their audience. Like was what you're saying. Yeah. And then exactly. And finding uh, that if, if you need content, I think like the Sean approach is, is great because you do fantastic content. If you're trying to get eyeballs on something, finding someone who already has an audience and already has those eyeballs and just need, they need to look over at you is the way to go. Um, and you should really have something you want them to do to help convert them lower down into the funnel, whether it's capture their email address or straight to like a you know point of sale purchase on Amazon. Um, you really have to know what you're trying to achieve and work with your creators and influencers to make sure that what you're trying to achieve and what they do makes sense and figure out an activity that does what you want it to do. Yeah. Yeah. And to drill down on that. So like if you, if you don't know how your website is, so let's say you have a Shopify store, right. And you're selling X widgets a month. And then of those sales, some percentage people end up reaching out and saying, Hey, I want 10 X of your widgets for my whole team or for a whole division of my company. If you don't know your conversion rates through your Shopify site, you need to figure that out first. <laughs> if your conversion rates are really good and look up benchmarks or whatever your industries are. But if you're converting people who visit your site and then they buy stuff, 
then you want more eyeballs, right? If you are not converting people very well, maybe a video on your website can help persuade people about why to buy your product, right? So like Daniel has these, like, I think put it really succinctly, like, do you want more eyeballs or do you want to drive like a, which will lead to their own thing? Or do you want to drive a specific action with content? And if you're, if you're not sure, I would maybe think about it in those two ways. Like what, what are the two things you're trying to achieve? And maybe content isn't the problem. Maybe your website, you know, maybe the checkout flow is broken or maybe your website stinks or something like that. But maybe you can solve it with content with a good video, a good explainer, a good demo or something like that. Um, and I know that tutorial content is a little bit further removed. That's like a much longer payoff. I guess I'm thinking really specifically of like product type videos or some sort of like, I'm thinking of like Mark Rober type content where it's like, you know, he does those package thief videos and he did the video about the squirrels in his backyard and stuff. You know, if Mark Rober uses something in his video, people are just going to want to know what it is because he has such a huge audience. But I'm thinking of things that feature your product directly or indirectly in some way versus the tutorial content, which probably takes a lot longer to pay off. Yeah, I, I think conversion rates are all about expectations too. So it's about setup and expectations. So if, if someone lands on a buy it now button and they're not ready to buy it now, then you didn't set them up the right way. So, you know, the page leading into that or the copy leading into that or the video leading into that was was not set up for optimization and conversion rates. It was set up for, you know, information or whatever you're trying to do. Um, but getting those expectations set up, getting your copy succinct, getting your checkout flow streamlined is, is critically important for conversion rate stuff. Yeah. Oh, th- and that brings up a good point. Like how, like I just had this connection between influencer and the video content. Um, Cause Harris, you were talking about this idea that like Mark Rober versus like tutorial stuff, which is your long tail evergreen, how to X, Y, Z, which we've talked about a bunch in the show. Cause that's my, my, it's my normal gig is doing how to long tail stuff. I've had experiences where um, companies I've worked with in the past, they view their YouTube channel in the same way that Mark Rober views his YouTube channel. How can we get more explosions, more eyeballs? we got to tell great stories. And in my experience, every time I've tried to make such a product that I think would go viral or a project, excuse me, that I think would go viral. Yep. Never does. And it seems that there seems to be this inverse proportion to, I put all this time and energy to this crazy epic project. Nobody gives a crap. And then I like film something stupid and it like goes viral. I'm like, I have not figured this out yet, but I do know that anytime I do like a how-to, generally speaking, that will get consistent slow growth over time. So it's, to me, that's a method that works, especially if you're a corporate channel. I've yet to see corporate channels do the like Mark Rober style, glitter bomb, fireball, explodey things very well. I, I stay like I know I will be corrected. Somebody like please, if you know of one, tell me like oh look, you know Microsoft has this like exploding kittens thing. Wait, that's like two different companies. But anyway, right? If you know of one, please let me know. But generally, like I think you're onto something with this idea of expectations. Like if I go to a corporate YouTube channel, I expect corporate YouTube stuff. And so if you have somebody on staff who's the next Mark Rober. You can, you might be able to leverage that, but I've just not seen that work. You're better off letting them be an influencer and then feeding them as an influencer is what I've seen. And some companies do, like Microsoft, as an example, do create a space for public personalities inside of their company. Um, 
so there, there's definitely an element of that, but the virality side of it is same thing. Like, oh, this is such a funny, like behind me, I have an oscilloscope with a bottle opener mounted to the side of it. So you can like, for those late night lab sessions, it's like, it's a great idea. It's hilarious. The video is fun. You know, it did okay. It didn't do great, but um, trying to go viral just doesn't work. Um, the value, I mean, it, it works for some people, obviously, because videos go viral, but the value that you can provide as a creator is that consistent help where like Sean, you said your how-to stuff does consistently well over time and it may not get this like meteoric rise to the trending page on YouTube, but um, it's it's a useful resource that people keep coming back to and the algorithms say people keep sticking around on this video and coming back and rewinding spots to double check that their settings were correct or whatever. That's the value that's much easier to provide, especially in your niche and in, in for the themes and topics that you're going after. Yeah. And I also think there is something to be said for building trust with your audience um, as a company, as a brand, right? If people come to DigiKey, right? One of my clients and they see that like, oh, DigiKey is helpful or they go to Keysight Labs. Oh, Keysight is helpful. They they continually provide all this great material to help me use an oscilloscope better. I will trust them. I, I would imagine that people are going to be more likely to trust Keysight because they were helpful, right? You build trust with your audience in doing so. If Keysight just has, you know, like, oh, let's blow stuff up on an oscilloscope, you might get more views, but are you building trust with, exactly, you're building entertainment. That's all it is, which is fine, but it's like, it's not the same as building trust by being helpful, at least from my yeah. experience. The the one that popped into mind when you said no company's done it is um is like the Will It Blend folks. And I don't know if they're Truth. still active or not. Truth, thank but you for is- correcting me. It's perfectly on brand because they're trying to show off that their blender can handle an iPhone. Like yeah. A, a frozen chunk of fruit. So, like, if you can come up with that magical, perfect solution that will work, then great. You know, feel free to try it out. But the the history and the odds are very much against you. <laughs> so Yeah. And uh, YouTube is very much red ocean at this point as far as creating yeah. content. What is it like every minute more content is put on there than somebody can consume in their lifetime or something just crazy? Oh yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, and that's where going back to owned properties that you can drive people to, especially if you have like a website, create a video that works well on a blog post and then have a name capture mechanism on your blog post. So you start building a list and then you can propagate that list and say, hey, we have a new blog post. And by the way, that blog post has a YouTube video embedded in it and share it with your friends and oh, you've been here five times. Let's now trigger a, you know, MQL, like, you know, lead qualification email, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, That's part of like the whole drip campaign, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's that. Yeah. Um, The drip campaign is part of it. Uh, It's kind of that intelligent marketing, (laughs) AI, machine learning. Right. Right. That's how it goes. That's where we're going. (laughs) <laughs> so the last couple of minutes here, um, if you are a Keysight executive or you are Daniel's manager, please turn off the podcast right now um, <laughs> because I am going to ask Daniel to um, qualify his own employment right now. How do you measure success on videos and with influencers? No, that's a good question. And it's a very, very important question because no one wants to just throw money and time into something that might work. Um so there's a couple different things um, that we look at, and I, I, it's a recipe. I, uh, it, it's not necessarily this one metric that I care about. Um, so I'm, I'm often looking at views, watch time, impression rates, and then 
clicks driven to owned properties. Um, so those are something that I, in theory, should report up every month, but I don't because who has time for that? Um, but if it's something that, like, because I show, I'm getting to the second point, and that's why I can get away with not showing uh, that every month or week or whatever it ends up being. Um, yeah. If you're listening, Christine, uh, yeah, that's my boss. Uh, <laughs> I definitely shouldn't have to do that every month. Um, there's a couple, <laughs> there's a couple big initiatives we do uh, annually, and it maybe annually, it may be a one-off. Um, it's like one thing we've done recently: we launched an e-learning platform. Uh, we call it Keysight University Live, or excuse me, Keysight University, and it's a bunch of courses. They're like hour-long courses. And we created some videos that have a call to action for those courses. So we can see how many people watched our videos and then clicked over to Keysight University and signed up. And that is a big metric for for my management is driving people to this platform we've put a ton of time and work into and we think is awesome. Um, and I even like took some of those courses and remixed them into a shorter YouTube video. It's like, if you want to watch the whole thing, this was just a small part of it. Go check it out. Um, the other big one, which was the slip of the tongue, it used to be called wave used to be called scope month. Now we call it Keysight university live. It's a huge sweepstakes that we do every year. Um, and we get, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people to sign up. Um, and part of our YouTube channel drives to that during a certain part of the year. And a lot of our influencer activities drive to that activity. And we can see specifically how many people signed up from each influencer and each video and activity we do much like you would do for like an advertisement so you want to know how well your banner ad does or how well your email does we want to know how well our videos do and how well our influencer budget is spent so we we track all that and report it up and if it continues to be worth it for the company then like incrementally so we still do advertising we still do some of these other you know pr type things but that incremental spend that we spend on influencers sending them gear or writing them a check is, is totally worth it for us so we keep doing that. Nice. So you, you're able to measure a lot of your click-through rates. And then that gets that's really what gets reported is like, are people taking the actions? And that doesn't have to be necessarily buy a thing because that's really hard to measure a lot of times. Um, but you're measuring click-throughs and things. Like I'm assuming you have like links in like YouTube descriptions. And if somebody clicks through to like, oh, go check out this article. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially like with influencers as we create a custom URL for each one using mm-hmm. something like bit.ly is a fine way to do it. Um, and then you can see how many people clicked, how many people signed up your form, how many of them turned into a lead or a sale down the road and kind of have that picture of the funnel and how people are actually you know doing things that help the business. Uh, so that's like the HubSpot classic inbound, like you just applying the HubSpot inbound template to be like oh we're gonna go right here and we can just measure the inbound and click through rate and whatnot yeah and i the 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 marketing funnel has been around for a long time because people want to say okay this person bought how did they buy where they come from and you like backtrack it and that's where you get the funnel it just happens to look like a funnel um yeah as more people like watch a video then like a you know one percent click the button to like go to your page then one percent you know are in the like comparison phase and then one percent buy like it's yeah right yeah, so I, I that's you know HubSpot has done a good job of kind of capitalizing on that inbound upper funnel type uh, naming and vocabulary, but those sure. concepts have been around in business for a very very long time. Yeah, that makes sense. Daniel, this has been most excellent. Um, I learned a ton. 
Thank you so much for being on the show. How can people find you? And by the way, Daniel runs I what I would consider the golden standard um, for corporate channels right now. So go check out Keysight Labs if you want to see what a great corporate YouTube channel looks like. So Daniel, how can people find you? How can people find Keysight on the interwebs? I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I've poured a ton of blood, sweat, tears, and you know, 3 a.m. script writing sessions into that channel. So um, it better be good. Um, so Keysight Labs on YouTube. Uh, you can also hit me up on Twitter at Daniel Bogdanoff. Um, also, feel free to like, shoot me a LinkedIn invite. Um, that was probably the best three ways. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been an honor. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at HelloBlinkShow. Find show notes at HelloBlinkShow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC by 4.0 license by Skull Riza LLC and Kenny Consulting Group LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC BY 3.0 license. This song can be found at soundcloud.com slash Maxwell slash routine. And there goes that train of thought. Woo woo! Off the cliff. Wee! How do you decide what <laughs> That's going in the bloopers. <laughs>